I'm part of the leadership here at Renew, and we have two scriptures that we'll be reading from, from Judges and Luke, and the first passage comes from Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 16, and I'll be reading the Common English Bible version. Then the Lord's messenger came and sat under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash, the Abirzerite. His son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to hide it from the Midianites. The Lord's messenger appeared to him and said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But Gideon replied to him, With all due respect, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his amazing works that our ancestors recounted to us, saying, Didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and allowed Midian to overpower us. Then the Lord turned to him and said, You have strength, so go and rescue Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not personally sending you? But again Gideon said to him, With all due respect, my Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my household. The Lord replied, Because I'm with you, you'll defeat the Midianites as if they were just one person. And then the next reading is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through town. A man there named Zacchaeus, a ruler among tax collectors, was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he couldn't see because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus, who was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that spot, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. So Zacchaeus came down at once, happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped himself and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this household because he too is a son of Abraham. The human one came to seek and to save the lost. May God's word shape us and form us. All right. God is good all the time. Amen. Uh, so we are continuing in our eight week, eight part series uh, through the tangible kingdom. Um, and so I didn't bring it up here with me, but we're going through Hugh Halter's Tangible Kingdom work, Workbook Primer. And we had a small group earlier in the year go through this. And basically it's uh, a workbook, a book about how to form incarnational communities that uh, reflect the kingdom of God um, where we're at. And uh, it's, it's been challenging because, you know, when I grew up, uh, I was a pastor's kid, and so, you know, that's hundreds of dollars of counseling uh, for me, you know, being a pastor's kid. And uh, for me, church meant church, going to a building, going to, well, actually it meant for us Wednesday and Saturday and Sunday morning and Sunday evening. And uh, it meant dressing up and always crying and fighting with my mom. I don't want to wear that clip-on tie. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it meant a lot of things. Putting on, um, it was, for us, it was about image, you know, like 
of course, as a pastor's kid, we have to be like the best. We have to be well-behaved. And I remember getting in trouble all the time for not, you know, behaving at church or in Sunday school and begging the Sunday school teachers, no, don't tell my dad, don't tell my dad, you know. Uh, but, you know, it, it's challenging because this, this study um, through the tangible kingdom has kind of pressed what does it mean to be the church? outside of being like a place or being a, an event on Sunday, to be the church as an identity, right, out there, out in the world, engaging the culture, engaging people, engaging our friends and neighborhood, neighbors. And as we've been discussing our vision being renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods, like because God first loved us, because God is in the work of transforming people, of transforming lives, of transforming hearts, of healing people and healing lives, that because he's about that and he's done that for us, our natural response is to let that love, that healing and renewal overflow to everyone around us, amen? That that is our response to uh, be about God's work of renewal in our neighborhoods. Um, and so this this eight-week series on the tangible kingdom uh, is really, is, I think the timing has been really good for us. Um, but I wanted to kind of bring up an illustration. And maybe you can hit this next slide. But here's a picture of a little boy uh, afraid of the water. Perhaps the father's trying to teach him how to, how to swim. And the boy is afraid. And yet... His dad looks pretty strong and burly and is saying, I'm going to catch you. Don't worry. I'm here. I'm standing up in the water. You're not going to drown. I love you. You'll never fall in. I'll never let anything happen to you. And so there's this kind of calculation going on in this little boy's head. And the calculation is, I'm afraid of that water, right? I don't know how to swim. I don't. I can't touch the bottom, and if I jump in, I could drown, I could swallow water. And yet, that's said against, but I trust my dad. My father would not let me get hurt. My father is going to catch me. My father loves me. He takes care of me, right? So this calculation is going uh, to the point where finally he jumps into his father's arms. And this... Uh, really touches my own heart as a father of two young children. I have a three-year-old, I have a nine-year-old, and both my three-year-old and nine-year-old are taking swimming lessons, right, at the Neighborhood Community Center, Meadowbrook Community Center, and they're taking swimming lessons, and it's so cute because the first time I went with Cammy, who's my three-year-old daughter, uh, to infant and parent, or not infant, toddler, swimming time with parents so if you're under three and at this time she was two you go to this place and you go in the water with your toddler and there's a teacher and you do the hokey pokey you do all these songs and games and put your right foot in your left foot in and you kind of drag them around in the water like a motorboat and uh at first i didn't know which class she was going to be in because she was going to be three like in one week and so there was the three-year-old class, and there was the under-three-year-old class, and I was like, what am I going to do? Does she go into three-year-old class? But when I looked at their three-year-old class, I guess once you're three, uh, the parents can only sit in the bleachers. So it's not the parents go in with the kids into the water. 
And so it's just like trial by fire. And so there's these two or three-year-old toddlers clinging to the side of the pool. And their parents are like, like their hearts are breaking. But, but the, the, uh, the swimming instructor is like, stay back, parents, stay back. And the kids are just like, oh, oh, I don't want to go out, just crying. And it was so loud in there. And I was like, no, I'm going to go to the under. <laughs> Cammy's not ready, right? And um, so Cammy, I go in with Cammy, and again, you can tell there's this calculation going on in her mind between, oh, this is so fun. I want to try out these new moves or try these new things. I want to be a motorboat in the water. And at the same time, she's scared, so she's turning to me and clinging to me, like choking me, literally, and like, ah, don't let me go, hold me, I want to get out. And at the same time, she's looking back at what the teacher's saying and what the other kids are doing, and like, oh, I kind of want to do that. And so my, my instinct as a father is twofold. My instinct is one, like, just to hold her and to save her. Like, it's okay. Like, I don't want you to, you're not going to drown. You're okay. Just stay here. And the other instinct in me, which is probably more dominant, is like to push my child out of the nest, right? She's gonna be a champion swimmer, right? The goat, the greatest of all time. Michael Phelps step over, right? My daughter is gonna be the greatest swimmer ever. So I'm like, I gotta push her. So I, so I turn her away from me and she's like shrieking and crying. I'm like, let's go motorboat. <laughs> right? And I think one time I slipped and she actually sank under the water. And she was like, Appa! And I could tell, like, the hurt and the pain and the broken trust, right? I was like, it's going to take years to make up for that, right? Here, I'll catch you. What if, the, what if the parents were like, don't worry, we'll catch you, we'll catch you. And we just moved away, right? They would never trust us again. But I'm realizing more and more uh, that my role as a father, as a daddy... To my children is to call my children to live out in the world more fully to push my kids out of the nest if you will so that they can fly um, there's a inside joke in our family Janice my wife is deathly and I'll share this even though I didn't ask for your permission <laughs> is deathly afraid of spiders and I see it in my children right like, what context would they have experience with spiders outside of what they see in their parents? And so now even Cammy's like, a spider, a spider! And, and then Isaiah's like, what? A spider? And they're all freaking out. And Janice is screaming, a spider, a spider! And I'm like, I'm the only sane person in this family right now. There's a spider. I'm like, a spider? Right? I just smash it and eat it. And they're like, no! A spider, like, it's small. Like, there's no, where do you get this fear of spiders, this internal fear of spiders, right? And so, and Isaiah's really like this, and he's afraid of spiders, he's afraid of grass. I'm like, you love soccer, you love sports, right? You're going to have to be in the grass, you're going to have to practice outside, there's bugs outside, come on, like, get out there. And he's like, no, 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 I don't want to, I want to. And... Right? There's always that instinct to protect your children and to, and, to, and to give that kind of safe harbor. 
And at the same time, I know, like, my role sometimes in the family as a daddy is to, like, face the spider, you know, go out into the grass. It's okay to push them out of the nest. And in the same way and so much more, God calls us out to live out. He encourages us to live out in the world. And we have our fears and we have our insecurities. And yet, sometimes it's good for us to step into those fears and those insecurities and to be called out by God. Amen? And actually, the word church comes from the Greek ekklesia. Ek meaning out. And kaleo, klesia is a form of kaleo, which is to call. So the church is the body or the people that are called out. And some people say, okay, it's the church are the people that are called out of the world to assemble together as something separate. And that meaning is there. But I also think it's also to be called out to be different um, in the world, to be called out of our assembly into the world to present, to be salt and light in the world. And God calls us to live out. And it's challenging, right? It's challenging. And we see this in our first passage with Gideon. When we are introduced to Gideon in Judges 6, he's, it says that he's threshing wheat, but he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And so if you know anything about how they used to separate wheat um, from the other stuff, uh, you would need a windy day and you'd need to be outside and you'd need to throw up the wheat, right? So the chaff and the wheat, the chaff would blow away in the wind and the, the good grain, the wheat grain would drop down. And that's how they would separate. You'd need a windy day. But he's doing this in a wine press which is actually something that's submerged underground. It's dug, a wine press is dug underground in those days. And so uh, the reason why he's doing this is that he, did, he wanted to hide it from the Midianites. And the Midianites are the people that are large and in charge and oppressing Gideon's people. And so he's afraid that the Midianites will come and steal whatever they make. So he was doing his job in hiding it. Right, in secret, not out in the open where he should be, but in a wine press. Um, so it was, uh, to say the least, hard work. And he was living, I, I gleaned from this glean, get it? I gleaned from this that he was uh, afraid, living in fear, not living out, right? When we're in a place where we're confident, where we know we're loved, where we know we belong, right? Aren't we? very open, yeah, no, I'm going to kick my feet up, right, when we're home, I'm going to kick my feet up on this table, I'm going to drink, open the fridge, eat whatever I want, doesn't matter if it's labeled or anyone's inviting me, when we're a guest at someone else's house, and it's a nice house, and we don't quite know them, we're not going to kick our feet up on the table, we're not going to open the fridge, hey, you got anything to eat, give me something to drink, we're going to be more like, wait till they invite me, wait till they offer me a drink, I'm like, I could be like really thirsty, but if I'm at someone's house and I'm being polite, they can be like, do you want anything to drink? No, I don't want it, right? I say no, but I'm like, yes, I want something to drink. I just say no, because I'm being polite, right? When we are not sure of ourselves, when we're in doubt, 
when we're not living out in the fullness of who we are and full confidence because we're in a new situation, because something is pressing down on us, fear, insecurity, or injustice, right? We, we are not as confident. We're more in hiding. Um, and so this is where Gideon is. And in, it's into this situation, into this, this hiding that actually the Lord's messenger appears to Gideon and says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Right? The name itself redefines this, his situation. Right? Even though he's living in fear, the messenger of the Lord calls him mighty warrior. Right? You are mighty warrior. You're not fearful boy or fearful man. You are a mighty warrior. Come out. Right? The Lord is with you. And I love Gideon's response. He's like the logical person. With all due respect, Lord, if the Lord was with us, then why is this happening? Right? Why has all of these situations happened? Why do we find ourselves in this circumstance? Why, why, why have you done this? Why have you abandoned us? Why did I lose my job? Why am I sick? Why is this and this? If you are with us, then why are these things happening? Makes sense. All of us have made this argument. Right? There are so many times in our life where we feel abandoned by God. Right? Where the voices in our, of our fears and insecurities are much larger than the truth. Like in my life, sometimes I let the darkness and the insecurity and the voices of fear rule me more than the voice of what's true. Right? We all experience that. And this is Gideon. He's like, I don't see it, God. Right? I don't get it. Where are all the, these amazing works that our ancestors talked about? Oh, we came out, back when I was a kid, we came out of Egypt and God was with us. Right? Gideon's like, our ancestors told these stories right, about God, this great God. I don't see it. Now we're living in the shadow of the Midianites. Nothing's happening. Powerless. God is powerless. God has abandoned us. But then the Lord turns to Gideon and says, you have strength, so go and rescue Israel from the power of Midian. Am I not personally sending you? I'm sending you. But Gideon again said to him, with all due respect, my Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the youngest in my household. And this is a lot like the call of Moses in Exodus 3, right? There's a lot of excuses, right? Like, first it's, God, are you even there? God, I don't think you're powerful enough. Or God, I don't think you care, right? And that's the bottom line of our questions, right? Is God powerful enough? Or does God even care about us enough to do something? Is God, or is God good? Is God powerful? Does God care? Is God good? But then Gideon turns it inward and the excuses become, but who am I? Right? Who am I to be your leader? I'm of the smallest family 
and I'm the smallest, I'm the least of the smallest family. I'm insignificant. I'm not a leader. I don't, I'm not a great warrior, right? My singing voice is not very good. I'm not a great speaker, I, whatever it is. I'm not educated, I'm not good enough. And to that, God's answer is, you know what? The reason why I'm sending you and the reason why I can say this is because I'm gonna be with you. It's not about you, right? It's about me and being with me. And when you feel insecure, um, call upon me and I'll be there. I'm gonna, am I not sending you personally? Listen to my voice. I'm here. I'm with you. Don't listen to that other stuff. Don't listen to the voices that are saying, no, you can't do it. No, it's not possible. No, you're not good enough. I will be with you. And I've said this many times that I, am, I will be with you. Right? God with us, Emmanuel, is a refrain all through scripture, right? I will be with you, I will be with you, I will be with you. The New Testament, I will be with you. Emmanuel, God with us, that's Jesus. This Jesus, Jesus is God's presence on, in the world with us. That when we have no need to fear, because uh, God will rescue us, God will save us. Do you believe this, church? <laughs> Sounds like it. <laughs> So living out, uh, Hugh Halter in his book says, living out is, is the natural and deliberate process of living among, listening to, and loving people and culture with the desire to connect them to our Christian community. As we learn to live out the gospel, we grapple with the bottom line issue of our willingness to take responsibility for our relationships with others and whether we let, will let the mission of God dictate the purpose and schedule of our lives. Inside the tension of living out our own ambitions, our faith, our fear, and our frailty. So living, all that living out means is what we've been talking about. God is ascending God. God is a God who calls us, and that's our identity, and that's our purpose. And so living out means it, it becomes a choice. And the choice is, will you live into this identity? of being a person who engages uh, people relationally, engages the world, engages the culture with who you are, with being someone touched by the gospel and called by God. Will you let that be out there? And, you, and a lot of times I think we tend to privatize our faith, right? It's kind of like money. So think about money. Like, do you go and share your finances with all your friends? You have accountability. You might have accountability groups in which you do that, but you don't sit and say, oh, I have so-and-so-so amount of money in my checking account. And hey, Marsha, do you know how much consumer credit debt I have? And I have this much student loans, you know, and I'm spending way too much money on Netflix and cable, and maybe I should cut the cord, right? We don't go around, because money and finances is actually become a very privatized thing, right? It's my thing, you don't ask about. 
You don't ask someone how much money they make. You don't ask them how much money you have in savings. That's not something you lead into during greeting time. Oh, what, are, what is your net worth, right? It's like, come on, right? That's my business, right? But really, I mean, that's another sermon. It's like, maybe that should be more in the opening as a, as a Christian community that comes in and shares our lives together and holds one another accountable. Maybe finances should be more on the table. But my, but my point is that we have also privatized our spiritual lives, right? Our faith has been relegated sometimes to our quiet times. This is my quiet time that I do uh, in the morning in my closet, right, on my own. Here's my journal. This is how I'm growing in God. But you, you don't know because it's in my journal. Don't read my journal, right? But this is my quiet time. And that's fine. That's... That's very important, but that's not all of faith, right? It's also, as we're talking about it, living out, living out our faith and our identity, right? As children of God, as disciples of Jesus. And that comes in direct conflict with our own ambitions, our own agendas, our own, like, this is what I'm supposed to do in life. I'm not, this is my purpose. My purpose is to get this career at age whatever, buy my home at this age, get married at this age, have 2.5 children, a dog, right? And then later when I have my midlife crisis, I'll get my sports car, right? <laughs> I've n I don't have a sports car yet. But, um, but I think God is, calls us to live under his purposes, right? To live the gospel-centered life out there, to live it out. And this is what he's challenging Gideon is, go live out your faith out there, right? And it's scary out there, right? And this, I think this is much more than just be about evangelism, go witness, right? Or, or kind of that message where, oh, all the extroverts in the, in the building are like, ah, oh, yeah, finally, I'm already doing this. That's what I do. I go talk to people. I tell them about Jesus or I'm out there. And the introverts are like, oh, no, Pastor David's going to talk about going out there and sharing our faith, right? It's not that simplified, right? Uh, you could be a talker and still not be living out your faith out there. Amen? You could be uh, a very reserved, quiet person and be so powerful in how you love people and use your gifts to connect people with Jesus or to be a witness of who you are. Are you with me? It's not about personality. It's about whether or not God is calling you and whether or not you're going to be faithful to what he's calling you to. Amen? Um, so living out is getting out uh, to live with a sense of purpose and mission. Living out is being intentional about connecting with others for the sake of the gospel. And as we live out, we are in turn inviting people in. So this sermon is entitled, we, we are about living out, but we are also about inviting people in. Inviting people into community, into belonging. So if we turn to uh, the Zacchaeus passage, and people always tell me, what's your life passage? What's your life? Who do you most resonate with? in the Bible. And then they're like, Zacchaeus, right? I'm like, 
No, why Zacchaeus? Because he was a wee little man, right? He was a short man. <laughs> no, what are you saying? Right? No. What about King David, the great warrior, shepherd, and king? My name is David. Hello. Uh, Zacchaeus. What do you mean, Zacchaeus? But Zacchaeus is actually pretty awesome. Right? He was so hungry and so starving and thirsting to come in contact with Jesus, to see Jesus, to hear what Jesus was about to experience because he had heard so much. The people are talking about this Jesus who heals people and the poor are coming to him and the blind are receiving sight and the lame are walking. And and also all the religious people are just getting so upset. Like, we need to get some popcorn and watch this guy. Like, this is so exciting, right? So Zacchaeus is like, yeah, I'm a sinner, you know, and I'm one of those labeled and marked people as impure or as a sellout or as... Someone who couldn't walk into the temple and the priest would be like, Oh, Zacchaeus, you're such a faithful guy. Actually, you're the sinner. You're a tax collector. Right? And so Zacchaeus is like, Man, Jesus is offering something else. Right? There's something attractive about him that I want. I, I experience love. I hear that people experience love and, and the face of God through Jesus. So I wanna, I'm going to climb up this tree. I'm short. I can't see. Right? I'm going to just climb up this tree so I can just get a peek of Jesus, the sycamore tree, as he's passing by. But when Jesus comes to that spot in verse 5, he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come down at once. I must stay in your home today. And again, here's the invitation. God is an inviting God. Right? God invites Gideon into something more. God is inviting Zacchaeus into something more. Right? And God is an impolite God. Right? Jesus invites himself to his home. Right? It's like, that's so not polite. He's like, Zacchaeus, come down so I can go to your house and eat. I'm hungry. Right? What's in your fridge? I must stay in your home today and you are going to host me. Anyway. So Zacchaeus come, came down at once happy to welcome Jesus. Everyone who saw this grumbled saying, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I gave half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anyone, I repay them four times as much. Jesus said to him, By the way, Zacchaeus must have done really good for himself, right? Because how could he even have four times as much as he stole from people to give away, right? So his... So what is that, 400? He at least made 400 times, more than 400 times on his and stolen it by investing, right? The money that he had. Anyways, that's neither here or there. Um, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this household because he too is the son of Abraham. The human one came to seek that which was lost. Um... As we live out our purpose and our identity as people who are called to live the gospel life, we then turn and like Jesus, we invite others into belonging. Right? Because isn't that the bottom line for Zacchaeus? 
is that he has a hunger to be seen and a hunger to belong. This is why the people were clamoring to Jesus. Yes, some of it was about the miracles that he performed, but there's so much more. It's not just about the miracles. It's about belonging to community, the community of faith. It's about being home and being acknowledged by the Father as, yes, you are my child. And there are people out there that don't feel at home in the Christian community, would never grace themselves in, in, a, in a church, right? Um, and it's our call, like Jesus, to actually go off track, right? And go to the sycamore tree and say, come, come. And what's interesting here is that it's like reverse hospitality. Like Jesus invites Zacchaeus into community, not by inviting him to Jesus' home. Come, I'll cook you a meal. He's, he invites uh, Zacchaeus into community by saying, you're going to take me to your home and you're going to cook for me. Right? Even uh, receiving another's hospitality, another service, is a way that we initiate community and relationship. Right? And that's a big one in our, in our culture, actually, because we're very independent. We want to be self-sufficient, especially in Seattle. I'm sure there's an Alaska independence, right? Like, you better be able to take care of yourself, right? And, and it's like that. But what would it look like to be like, if someone offered me a drink of water, are you thirsty? I said, yeah, right? I'm giving them the opportunity to serve me and kind of break down that wall of strangerness to a, a deeper stage of relationship and openness by saying, I am thirsty. Thank you. Right? So Jesus opens up community to Zacchaeus and helps him to belong by being a guest in his home. And that's, that's a huge message for us. Because sometimes when we think about inviting in, we think about the old school model is like, Invite your friends to church, right? And then I remember our churches used to have like the, this is the invite your friends to church weekend, right? And so you you guys remember this? So everybody, renew, the seats are looking kind of empty. This is when the pastor looks at the budget and goes, oh my gosh, we got to get people in the seats. So they're they're like, we're going to have an invite your friends to the Sunday weekend so we can get bigger, right? And so they'd be like, everybody on this day, in this calendar, all of you need to invite your friends to church. This is the day we'll do it together. I mean, because we do it like here and there, and Frank's always inviting his friends. But if we did it all at once, we would experience the critical mass and something's happening in this place, right? And so there'd be an invite your friends to Sunday. And we'd invite everybody. And, you know, perhaps it worked in those times. But I think the church and our culture has evolved so much more, right? And one of the big reasons is I think church, in the Sunday sense, isn't naturally a safe place. People don't think of church as a safe place anymore. You guys agree with me or not? I mean, you could just look at the stats of young adults leaving the church, right? Even our children don't find a home in church any longer. 
And so we can't assume like, oh, church, we have, buff- we have a buffet here, we have coffee here and donuts, right? Come and got a good looking pastor, right? <laughs> and he gives a good message. No, we can't assume that. We can't assume that. Actually, it's a place where people have experienced pain and hurt, right? Where people have been excluded and where voices have been snuffed out. And the church, where the church should be the place of justice, where justice is proclaimed and the poor are fed and people come, sometimes we've just been a place where we Christians have hunkered down, right? Like Gideon, threshing our wheat because we're afraid of the world out there. And so to live out and then to invite in, I think all that means is as a church, we're called to go out and invite people into belonging, into the way community should be. And sometimes that means actually getting invited, right, to what people are doing. Um, Just like Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus as home. And when we look through scripture, and I'm stealing this from one of my seminary professors, hospitality, if you look at scripture, hospitality occurs at the cutting edge of the Christian community, right? So if you look in Acts, right, Paul was called to minister to the Gentiles, which was beyond, which was the outside edge of the growing church, right? Where it was Jerusalem was the center, ends of the earth are here, and now Gentiles are coming in to the Christian community. And so the edge would be that Gentile conversion. Uh, but at the edges, there's always hospitality, the receiving and the giving of hospitality. And where hospitality is present, salvation is also present. So when we see in, our, in the Zacchaeus passage, right, Jesus is invited to Zacchaeus' home. Everyone outside who's on the inside looks at that situation and says, man, he's eating with sinners. That's so unrighteous. That's so outside of our realm, right? But in reality, Jesus takes this situation of hospitality, and what does he say to Zacchaeus? He says, today, salvation, there's that word salvation, has come to this household. He, too, is the son of Abraham. We're all family, right? Welcome each other. And that, that is our witness. Uh, renew and hospitality. And I'm going to close with this. Uh, when I look around at Renew, um, I see people who like to be hosts. I see people who are hospitable. When we do house churches or when we do events, people are always raising them their hands, right? I want to do it at my house. Let's do house church at my house. Let's do that Thanksgiving event at my house. I want to invite people into my home. And I think that's a very powerful thing. And one of the, the, one of the, the hard parts is that we are in a community center where we are guests. We only have a four-hour window on Sundays where you know, we have church and the rental is pretty expensive. And so it's really hard in this context to be like, uh, let's be hospitable, right? Let's welcome to our home, right? And I think one of my one of, one of the things that I think God is going to do in our midst is take our strength of welcoming people in and being hosts 
and give us that opportunity right, to be hosts um, and to create place for ourselves. But also, he's also calling us out to be community with people by letting ourselves be invited into their lives. Amen. Just as Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life. So hospitality. What does it look like for us to grow in hospitality and to live out there and to invite people in, not to an event or to a place necessarily, but into belonging? And this is something Seattle, people in Seattle really hunger for. They won't admit it, right? It's the Seattle freeze, right? Everyone wants community. Everyone wants to hang out. But they'll be like, oh, maybe. On your Facebook event, maybe. I might come. Right? When inside, they're like, I really want to come, but I, wanna, I don't want to look too desperate. Right? So what we, what, knowing that, what we as a Christian community should do is just look stupid inviting people. Right? Just look stupid in wanting relationships. Yeah. Oh, can I come? Right? Maybe we'll be the goofy, awkward people, but hey, just let yourself burn. Let yourself be embarrassed by putting your heart out there. Right? Because we have Jesus backing us. 